You're listening to the Floral Podcast, and I am your host, Edgar Otraves. Now, today on the show, our special guest is a jiu-jitsu black belt. He currently teaches over at Vienna Brothers in Chicago in Logan Square, and his name is Paul Doe. Now, if you're new to the show, make sure you check out our website, thefloralpodcast.com. There you find a complete catalog of all our episodes, but also you'll find specific playlists for the things that interest you. So make sure you go over there, give it a look. Now, I had a blast talking to Paul Doe. He is such a smart guy, and he knows a ton about jujitsu. It was the first time having him on the show, so I just really wanted to, you know, talk to him, get to know him, and, uh, you know, just chat about jujitsu. So I hope you guys dig this episode. Now, without further ado, on with the show. So welcome to another episode of the Floral Podcast. I am Edgar Otraves, and today I have a special guest, Paul Doe who is currently an instructor over at Viana Brothers. We all know how much I love the Viana Brothers. And Paul, man, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Edgar. I'm, I'm really excited to be on. And uh, yeah, I, think I, I have a fresh start. So uh, Viana Brothers is, is where I'm at now. And it's uh, I think we're in like less than a week, week and a half in. And uh, I couldn't be more excited. And I couldn't be more excited to be here. Cool, man. Dude, so like... How did you meet Daniel, man? Because he's a he's a good dude, man. Have you always known the Viana brothers, or did you recently run into him, or what's the deal there? So, you know, the Chicago uh, jiu-jitsu scene is big, like lots of options, but it's also small. And you know that uh, having trained in Chicago, especially amongst the Brazilians, I trained with Andre Terencio and Hennet Stack for, for nine years, and uh, the Brazilians all know each other. I'd never personally met Daniel uh, until recently, but... I knew of the students. So I knew of Aaron Brooks and John Lawrence in Cleveland. My wife is from Cleveland Heights. So we've been, or I've been training in Cleveland for as long as I've been training jujitsu. So nine years on trips back to Cleveland. I met John Lawrence in 2017. I met Aaron Brooks through the competition scene. So I knew of Daniel Viana's black belts. And, you know, if you use, those two guys, John and Aaron, as examples of what kind of jujitsu and what kind of person trains at Viana Brothers, I didn't really need a huge uh, primer on what kind of person or what kind of academy that Daniel was running. So that's a long-winded way of saying I just met Daniel. <laughs> um well, but, I mean, you could have yeah. got, you couldn't end up at a better school, man, because those guys are great, man. And uh, I, from what I'm gathering, you have a pretty good sense of humor, and you're really gonna need that over there with those cats, because. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, like I said, I, you know, I, I kind of surprised Aaron recently. I was like, you know, you were a big reason that I chose Viana Brothers after I left Brazil Zero to One, and he's like, he was surprised. I said, no, because you know, it, it, you know, I dig your sense of humor. I dig the way you teach. I dig you as a person. Daniel allowing you to thrive and be yourself was a big reason why I felt like I would be uh, welcome over at Viana Brothers. Actually, Daniel recently told me that he he appreciated my sense of humor. So, you know, <laughs> it's a, it's a it's a good vibe over there. I've been to the um, the open mats, and there's an energy. There's a you know there's an infectious desire to learn. Uh, they could be at other places. I knew that it was the place for me after. After I left Brazil zero to one, and I, I'm very happy with the decision. And and yeah, there, there's a lot of good, gentle, 
good-natured ribbing that happens at Viana Brothers, from what I can gather. I've never been on a WhatsApp thread with so many people. Um, <laughs> guess, like, talking mostly, shit the whole time. Yeah, talking shit to each other. And, uh, <laughs> and, you know, so I have to, um, I have to get used to that. But yeah, it's a really, it's a really fun place right now for me. Um, I'm very excited about the possibilities for me as an instructor, as a practitioner, as a competitor, and as just for as a family man as I progress in this. Um, in this journey, I'm I'm very excited, and and I think it's it's obvious to a lot of people. So, uh, how long have you been a black belt? I received my black belt in December of 2021. So, um, so fairly recent. So you got one stripe. You got two stripes on that black belt. I don't have any stripes. So right okay. now, I got uh, professor certification through Brazil. I didn't even know what that entails, but I got the big certificate to prove it. Oh, wow. um, next year. <laughs> uh, so, you know, and, you know, train jujitsu, it's very um, hierarchical. I don't actually know all of the, the rules, but, you know, I know you have to be a black belt for three years to get one stripe. And then the stripes, the degrees on your black belt are all based off of time as a black belt. Merit is a huge component of receiving your black belt. Some places put more of an onus on it than others some people have a problem with that in jiu-jitsu it's not it's not standardized right it's uh not all black belts are created equal not at all right somebody who has a black belt from one instructor is is likely gonna it it, it means something different so that you know that's the tide of the lineage right if you have a black belt from such instructor some people look down on that black belt compared to a black belt from some other instructor but once you get the black belt my understanding is that everything all the degrees afterward are based on time. And as long as you're involved in teaching, training, you know, you're involved in jujitsu. So obviously they're not going to be like coral belt test you and see if a, a guy who's in his 60s still can beat up a, a competitor blue belt or something like that. But it's based <laughs> on time, right? So yeah, so yeah I've, I've been a black belt now for about a year and a half. And, you know, I don't want to get too corny, but, you know, it's true what they say about at least I've I've gathered so far about the real learning starting at black belt, you know, because so that's like, a good point. Yeah, the real learning starts at at black belt. Some of the black belts that I've spoken to, they do some studying outside of what they learn in the gym. We were talking about John Lawrence, and uh, I I know Aaron, but I don't really know him uh, mm -hmm. personally. Like I know John, uh, I've spoken to like I was telling you before the show. I. I think I've spoken to Aaron maybe a handful of times, but I don't know him like you might know him. I know John pretty well. I think I think John is a great guy, but and I've had him on the show I think about 10 times at this point. But uh, one of the things that he recently shared with us was that he said that he'll take a class from his own black belts. So like yeah. he'll he'll learn from his own black belts, but aside from that too, he also studies he he, yeah. he looks up stuff. So I was going to ask you, are you studying anybody right now? Is there somebody in particular that you like to follow on the competition circuit? Or is there instructionals that you like? Or are you just chilling for right now? <laughs> so uh, it's funny that this is the question because I was just getting a good good nature, gentle ribbing from a black belt um, friend of mine. They refer to him as Professor Draguinho at uh, – Brazil 021, he lives in California now, but he would always uh, rib me about tracking uh, the classes that I took. I'm kind of obsessive like that. I'll just write down the date, write down what we learned, write down any notes. And I have 
that from when I started jujitsu, like every single day, I'll plug something into the spreadsheet. I think it's a good learning tool for me. I don't say that everybody that trains jujitsu should do that. It's, it works for me. But now that I'm teaching at Viana Brothers, I'm doing the same thing. And so you bring up a good point about uh, studying. It's jujitsu is attracted to a lot of obsessive learners because of the multitude of moves, the changing dynamic of your training partner, where you are as a practitioner yourself, you might be a little slower because you haven't trained uh, as regularly as you once did, such as such. so many factors in jujitsu. And so if you ever think that you've got it all figured out, that's that's when your your game is going to start diminishing because you have you know you you start drifting into the world of Dunning Kruger. I'm mm. always studying, and it doesn't matter what rank you are because people are doing things, amazing things, creative things all the time. Shed the belt. I'm just saying, can I learn from this person? And I like the John's mindset in that regard. I'm white belt, blue belt, newbie, somebody who doesn't train jujitsu. If you do something cool and I think it's going to work. I'm going to study it. So right now in the uh, Chicago competition scene, I was actually just speaking with a friend about this guy. Chris Wojcik is somebody that I really enjoy watching. He's very analytical. I can't remember how far he got in trials. I want to say he got up to like fourth place, but like it's really, really impressive the way he does uh, leg locks. I really enjoy Bernardo Faria. Oh, I like uh, Bernardo. Yeah. Yeah. For one of the old school guys, you know, now he's known for the, for being the B, BJJ fanatics pitch man. Yeah. yeah. But, you it's know, an honor he, for me to yeah, meet he, you. Thank you, you for coming on the show. Yeah. Today. <laughs> huge honor for me is the, yeah, huge you know, honor like, for me. Yeah. You can just hear it when you see his picture. But you know, for a time, you know, I've been training since 2014 in the gi and uh you know 2015 he he 2015 to 2016 or 17 he had a he had an incredible run mm-hmm. where he didn't lose he like beat leandro low he tapped cyborg he tapped leandro low he tapped cyborg uh and this is kind of just this unassuming guy maybe it's because he's bald and he didn't look like a steroided freak yeah and he's very like good natured like he's yes very, like, he's, he's, he's very he doesn't nice. look like he doesn't look like a bushesha he doesn't look like no. andre galvao and then no. you're like this guy's beating everybody in jiu-jitsu yeah and he's some like middle-aged kindergarten dad right yeah, like, he looks like yes exactly he looks like yeah kindergarten dad he just looks he looks like he has a dad body. i mean he's yeah. he was incredible shape but like the only person to like really dominate him was Hodger Gracie mm. and Adolfo Vieira. Mm. Um, and he would just come in there and he would run during this time and pull deep half guard. Mm. It was kind of nuts because at the time, if you recall in 2015, Keenan was uh, hot on the scene. Lapel guard was, worm guard was, lapel guard was coming back. Worm guard was a thing. The meows were huge. So they're playing this crazy Baron Bolo game. And here comes this guy who looks like, you said, kindergarten teacher, bald just looks like everyday joe and he's coming in here and here comes leandro low taps him here's cyborg taps him he's marking these guys with half guard and he said you know i love half guard because it doesn't take any doesn't require any athleticism it doesn't require insane flexibility which is why when i watch the meow brothers i'm like wow that's cool i can never do that yeah but when i see like leandro low speed uh, rest in peace i'm like wow that's insane i can never do that you know or you you see bushesha you see guys like that and you're like oh that's 
it didn't seem accessible to me as a blue belt at the time. But when I saw Bernardo Fari, I'm like, oh, this this I can do. So this I can do. Let's talk about half guard a little bit then. For some reason, I feel like I get into half guard a lot. And I, don't, I thought it was just like a preference of mine. But it's easy to get to half guard because you get mounted or whatever. And yeah. it's easy to get one leg off. It's harder to get the second leg off to get to, to full uh, full guard. So I always end up in half guard. And I've I got a nice little you know web of, of flow that I can go yeah. from half guard, right? Do you think from your opinion that that is a position people spend a lot of time in? Or is that just very unique to a person? So, yeah, I don't want to keep parroting uh, what people who are smarter than me about jujitsu have said about half guard, but half guard is to steal from Danaher is like the easiest guard to pass, but it's also the easiest guard to sweep from. Mm. So because of that, you have people who are always funneling, like it's really difficult sometimes to pass open, right? Like you try to hit a Toriano pass, you try to hit a bullfighter pass. It's really difficult. People help frame really well. They're really explosive with their their guard recovery. And you roll, probably roll with guys who are much taller than, than you. They got these long legs. It's really hard to pass from, from distance. Yeah. So a lot of times I will funnel my passing to the half guard, right? Because I feel much more comfortable passing the half guard. And then when I'm, I'm, I'm playing bottom, I want to funnel everything to my half guard because I have two legs wrapped around one of his legs. Mm -hmm. It makes it easier for me to set myself, control, and then work my offensive sequences. So it's like, it's great for both players if you play half guard correctly. Mm -hmm. I don't think people go in being like, today I'm going to play like 80% half guard. But what happens is the exchanges you have, mm -hmm. you know, pay attention to it next time you spar, is a lot of them are going to be in half guard yeah. because that's just a natural consequence of the way people try to to pass the guard and the way people try to uh, try to sweep. It doesn't happen a lot in MMA because half guard is not nearly as effective in MMA if somebody can just rain down punches. Huh. You don't actually want to lock somebody's leg in place and give them that angle to punch you in half in half guard. It's much better for you to be in close guard in MMA because then you have control of their hips and then you you might have a better frame or shield for their punches. This is why you don't see half guard a lot in Dude, MMA. Dude, you're yeah. blowing my mind right now. <laughs> yeah, so, I, yeah, I never paid attention to that yeah, fact. You want to be – so if you're on top in MMA, mm -hmm. I think you will – if you go back and watch a, a Khabib fight, mm -hmm. he's setting them down in half guard, raining down punches and elbows, Yeah, right? Half guard player – if you're going to play half guard, the probably best half guard to play in MMA would be a butterfly half guard. Go back and watch an old Damian Maya fight mm. where he sets him in place, but he's got distance management there. He has the shield with the knee, the front knee, and then he sweeps him over, ends up getting on top and taking the back. And he spent like there was a Damian Maya period where he he was doing the same thing, butterfly, sweep, mm. get on top take their back, choke him. He, there was a three or four fight stretch where he took like 14 punches total. Yeah. It's bananas. Yeah. He I remember the, that. Yeah. He showed the true power of jujitsu uh -huh. in MMA mm -hmm. and he didn't do it the Khabib way. The Khabib way is the Dagestani aggressive wrestling, push him up against the fence, get him down, wrap their legs, climb up the body and then start raining down punches. And what exactly. happens when you start punching somebody in the face, they turn their back, take their back, choke. 
choke. Right. Yeah. Damian Maya was actually using guard, and, but he was not using a traditional half guard where our knees are both past their hips. And he wasn't doing, you know, a jujitsu like knee shield. He was using butterfly guard to uh, to sweep them and end up on top and then take their back. And so, you know, <laughs> if you go back to like the way the Gracies brought over jujitsu to this country and, and their sort of ideas about what jujitsu is supposed to be, the foundation of it was self-defense and half guard, not as good for self-defense mm. as close guard. Yeah. So, but in competition jujitsu, which is not completely different than self-defense, but it has different objectives, right? In in self-defense, I don't want to be on bottom, right? I'd right. rather be on top or I'd rather be running away. Exactly. All right. In competition jujitsu, and I, it sometimes irks me when I read people online who they're like, oh my God, all these guard pulling. And I'm like, this is sport jujitsu, people. These aren't. They're not MMA fighters. Like, yeah. of course, they're pulling guard because if they're a guard player and they, their guard can't get past strategically, it's smart mm-hmm. to go grab a grip and sit on their butt. And so when I saw somebody like Bernardo Faria do this in half guard, I was like, oh, this guy is actually literally pulling the half guard, something they tell you not to do, right? They want you to like either pull open or pull in the closed guard. Or at the time, you could still jump to guard. I think you could still jump to guard, white belting up in IBJJF. Um, I don't think you. I don't know. Can you? It's very. It's very dangerous. I would yeah. not suggest it to anybody because I've seen some, one of the worst injuries at a fight to win from a guard jump. Meanwhile, they ban leg locks and whatnot. <laughs> we, we can get to that. Yeah, we can get to that later in the pod. But um, jumping guard, yeah, one of the most dangerous things you can do in sport jiu-jitsu but yeah so it's like half guard is uh is great for sport jiu-jitsu it's not good for mma i would not be pulling half guard into uh in a street fight (laughs) but for for sport Uh jiu-jitsu it's one of the best positions if i don't have to worry about getting punched in the face i'm just gonna heat i'm squeeze both my legs around your leg uh or i'm gonna get a nice little shield it's going to be really hard for you to uh, to pass my half guard. And then if you do pass my half guard, it's going to be, like you mentioned, really easy for me to get it back. Yeah. Because all I have to do is like push one of your legs and then squeeze them, shift my hip, and I'm back. I don't think people go in and be like, ah, oh, today I'm going to – you're just going to end up there. Yeah. Just because of the natural flow of, uh, of jiu-jitsu. Unless somebody is like, you know, levels ahead of you and flying over your guard and passing you at will, which, which can happen. But if you're similar level – with the person that you're about to spar with, you're going to end up in half guard. Yeah, 100%. It happens a lot. And I think uh, one of the things I like doing, especially when we when I match up with someone who's a little better than me or uh, even at my same level, I, I'll, trans- I'll transition to deep half and uh, play from there. Because for some yeah. reason, I don't know if it's just because I only know like a couple of things to do from <laughs> deep half. Like I don't know a lot, but it, I, I'm comfortable in the position. And yeah. when I get there, people s- don't seem to know what to do with it when I get there. And I <laughs> and I either slip out the back or they do something silly and lose their balance and they go out the front, you know? And that's 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 it. That's all I do. There's a transition from there that I like to go to that I that I wish I could go to. I, it never gets to that point. Like uh, there's a transition that I want to go to from there that you end up into like I think 50-50. Right? Um you go into an a leg entanglement. You have to spin around. Usually, when that happens, when I the moment I elevate that leg in order for me to get around and spin around and try to get that fifty fifty, they they slip out. 
You know? So you're 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 saying let me try to conceptualize this. You are in deep path, and you're yeah. the leg that's trapped, mm-hmm. the one that you have between your legs. You're yeah. You elevating lift. that kind of that to like a waiter sweep style and then you might go underneath for an x guard yes Is that where yes yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah you either go to a, like you should be able to go to either an ashigarami or 50 yeah. or something okay. like that i can see it but like you lift the leg and the moment yeah. i lift the leg they just go whoop, and and it's gone you know like like i try to trap it and i'm yeah. just like so what what's your free arm doing are you on the hip or are you on the opposite it's on the hip it's on the hip okay yeah it's on the hip but my head's on the on the other guys on the other lap right okay so then like yeah maybe i got to do a better job of holding that leg yeah so if you if he has mobility with his other leg uh that's why then it it might create a a scramble i'm trying to envision it and now Mm -hmm. we definitely have to get some mat time in because (laughs) in this uh, sequence that you're describing because it sounds really cool and funky like and i would love to see it because i would um I don't think people play deep half guard enough. Mm-hmm. And I think what happens is when uh, there are trends in jujitsu and deep half and half guard, half guard is now be- becoming in vogue, butterfly half specifically, because one of the more, probably the best nogi guy that I've ever seen, Gordon Ryan plays a lot of butterfly half guard. Mm-hmm. And so when people see it in competition, you know, they, they try to emulate it, which is what to me was surprising that Bern- when Bernardo was winning all these competitions, nobody, at least I didn't see it. A lot of people weren't being like, okay, now we got to go and pull this in the deep path because it's yeah. so, it was so successful for him. He would use the lapels and come up right into an over under pass. He mm-hmm. was setting himself up with the sweep. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of deep path. It's something that I don't think enough people play. I, I dig that you're, uh, that you're on this track and now my, my mind is spinning. I'm about to go to an open mat. <laughs> Maybe I should try. Uh, yeah, yeah, try a leg entanglement. You got to yeah, spin yeah, around, yeah. you got to spin around under that leg and try to get it. Yeah, we'll like, call it the, the Will Smith or the Jada. Thing. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> we're, getting, that. We're, we're, we're workshopping the name, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We're, we're, we're getting scandalous now. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, no, uh, I think I saw that. I think I saw that sequence. I can't say that that I came up with it. I I, I believe I saw it from Jeff Glover because he has a video out that that another that incredible half guard player, yeah. skinny guy, nerdy but, looking in, on the yeah, face of it, but right covered in tats, right just, covered in tats, and brain is probably a little uh, adjusted from the amount of uh, <laughs> you know marijuana. <laughs> I got a um, good friend of mine, shout out to Bobby Detona from high school, one of my best friends from high school. It's a purple belt still. Um, but he, <laughs> Leave him alone. Know, he's got, right? he's got life. Shit's yeah. happening. Yeah. He, lives in, he lives in Las Vegas. Trained actually back way back in the early 2000s with Health Gracie. Mm-hmm. But he trained in Vegas with Mark Lehman, who was um, the owner of uh, Cobra Kai Jiu-Jitsu. Mark Lehman was on one of the earliest, earliest seasons of the Ultimate Fighter as um, jujitsu instructor. There was some controversy. I can't, I can't recall it off the top of my head. But some of the fighters were talking crap to him about because because he wasn't a fighter. Mm. I only say this because Bobby got to train with Jeff Glover back in the day, and we're talking back, back in the day, man, like almost twenty years ago. Uh, so Jeff Glover, of course, American born. It's cool to see somebody like that considered one of the the pioneers of a position or pioneers of the, the advancement of a position, right? Cause it's half guard has been around 
for longer than you and I have been alive. And But it's cool to see that people are still toying around with the possibilities because there's tons of possibilities we haven't even considered. That's that's just a wacky part about like jujitsu. Because, I mean, when it comes to striking, there's only so many, so many ways you can throw a punch or kick or right. whatever. And sure, you can find a creative way to or a new angle to throw a jab, right? But I, I think at this point, we've reached all the possibilities, right? Now it's about the collection of how you put these things together. And that's right. where the innovation comes in. The way you set it up. Yeah. Um, yeah. But like with jujitsu, there just seems to be an infinite number of possibilities. Like it never ends like the new way, a new transition to get to a choke or to get to a, to a leg entanglement or arm bar or whatever. I was just like, really? There's more? There's more shit. <laughs> and that, I, like I said, I don't want to be corny, but and I, I, I say this a lot, but because of the universe of moves, and you just put it more eloquently, because the universe of moves in jiu-jitsu is so vast and it changes with the body type and skill level of the person that you're training with, your training doesn't become as rigid as it would be, like you said, in striking. And I've only taken a handful of Muay Thai classes. I have lots of uh, friends who are much, much better at uh, Muay Thai than me. And I have a friend that we have a mutual friend, Naftali Morales, shout out yeah. to Nath, <laughs> who trains Muay Thai as well. He's a brown belt in jiu-jitsu. He's trained Capoeira. Wait a um, minute. That guy's a brown belt already? Yeah, he's a brown belt. <laughs> oh, fuck. No, but hey, I will say, you know, when he was a, a blue belt, purple belt, mm -hmm. we he and I worked a lot on his half guard. And he's got an incredible deep half uh -huh. now. And because we, you know, based off his agility, his quickness, his uh -huh. size, his strength, he was always good on top. But once he started playing around with half guard and deep half and the possibilities, then his game just started. Now he's a real pain in the ass to to spar with because he's got, you know, both bottom and top. And he's really tricky with his half guard. He's really tricky, like you said, getting it back. Mm. You might pass his guard, but he's getting the half guard back. And he's, yeah, he was one of the he's one of the training partners that I'm going to miss uh, over there. Brazil zero to one, but he half guard is what started taking his uh, his bottom game to the next level. So but, yeah, the, the way I know Neftali is uh, we were we used to take capoeira together. So that's where I met him. And that's where I met Emilio's there. Emilio's. Uh, yeah. Emilio's Manoso. Yeah. He, Manoso, yeah. <laughs> so that guy, that guy is, um, uh, all those guys, I met all those guys over at Jinga, Jinga Arte, which is a, yep. uh, the, uh, capoeira group they were from. And so, yeah, he started jujitsu after me. And now he's in front of me. Now he, he passed me yeah. way by. I'm a purple belt. I'm still a purple. I've been a purple belt a long time. But, but like, yeah, he's, you know, it happens too, right? Like, there's plenty of these people that come in and then boom. Yeah. And I'm, I'm on that side of Neftali too, because I, you know, I started in 2014 and there's guys that were purple belts when I started as a white belt, uh, overweight, out of shape, and, you know, uh, white belt and I'm a black belt now and some of them are still purple belts. There were guys that were like high level purple belt and I got my black belt before them. The great mm -hmm. thing about jujitsu is everybody's on their own journey. Yeah. I think we get into we'll we'll talk about if we compare ourselves to others. Neff's progression is something that was really a joy to take part in and watch because he's very consistent. Mm -hmm. And he during the pandemic, you started seeing 
people that either needed to get out and do something with other people a lot. They were, you know, Neff was one of those people that was out there focused on jujitsu. And, and a lot of times it, it happens because you're, because other factors in your life allow it. Mm-hmm. Like if you have a really flexible job, which is how I was able to train every single day at 6.30. And then not only that, once I was a, a blue belt, you know, I stayed after class because I didn't have to be in the office. I was working a very flexible uh, job that allowed me to work on the weekends, mm-hmm. that allowed me to work to come into the office whenever I wanted. And so if you if you had to be in the office every day every day at like 8:30, you're not going to be able to train every day at 6:30. Sometimes life comes up and you have a child. Yeah. Um and Neff I think got he he found the groove of where he could uh fit jiu-jitsu in his life and he started coming every day at 6:30 and he also one thing I see that a lot of upper belts or a lot and purple belts do that Neff didn't do was they stopped coming to fundamentals class. Hmm. So a lot of, I, th- I see a lot of, and I noticed this because I, I taught fundamentals at Brazil zero to one for five years is that once people get their blue belt and then, or get a purple belt, they stop seeing the, the value in fundamentals class, because maybe if they go to a fundamentals class and there's no open sparring, and they're just doing positional rounds or they didn't get a, a workout or they didn't get to, to work X, Y, and Z that they'd been thinking about. But continuing to sharpen the foundation of their skill set is very important. And you see the higher belts that do go to fundamentals class, they have that always to fall back on. I do most of my moves from fundamentals class. I don't do like a I don't have this crazy skill set. Mm-hmm. I just do. I just do these things that I do really well. Uh, certain things, and I've been doing them for for years. Yeah, I have a, a very uh, pressure pass based game. I don't do any of the fancy stuff. I don't uh, no beating bolo. You're not going to see me yeah, doing yeah, yeah. any beating bolo. You're not going to see me do any other. I mean, I see it. I, I I have an idea of how to do some of that. And there are some things that I will employ. But for the most part, you're not going to see me like jumping on my neck and spinning around. I'm not going to be flying over you like uh, the art of jujitsu guys. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing any of that. <laughs> you're getting somebody to half guard. Yeah, and then you're gonna put your pressure on them, and I'm gonna and, sm- and I'm gonna smush them and smear them across the mat. Right, <laughs> exactly. To, you know, trying so, to make, just get to the side. You know, but Neff has a very similar pass, and it's you know you can pick stuff up that you might not if you just go to advanced class or if you just go to open mat, you don't have a real focus sometimes on minor details that you might be doing wrong. Like we were talking before the the podcast about. Just figuring out some little tiny detail that that you might uh, need to tweak. You know, I got a DM earlier this week from a purple belt at uh, you know another school, and he was talking about stagnation in his training and feeling like he was stagnating. And guys who were he was submitting were now all of a sudden submitting him, and you know, they start to get discouraged, and you're we're all human beings and you're like, Oh man, I suck. I'm getting worse, which can't happen if you're training. Yeah. It just feels like you're getting worse, but you also have to remember that those guys are getting better. Yeah. And they're submitting you as well. So you might not be getting better at the same rate. And my, you know, he asked for my advice and I gave it to him. I said, 
sometimes when you reach a level purple belt like yourself, you start having to be purposeful in your training. And what do I mean by that? You have to come in to a, a training session saying, I'm going to work on this. Because if you go and you're like, oh, well, I'm just going to go to open mat. I'm, I'm just going to spar. That's fine. If my purpose today when I go to open mat is just to spar, sweat, that's a great purpose. But when you're, you're at blue belt, purple belt, you got to come in and be like, okay, I need to work on this. All right. And when you have a fundamentals class, a lot of times, well, Brazil 021, we had a curriculum. So, you know, you're going to work on this position. Mm-hmm. And if you're a blue or purple belt, you still probably need to work on that position because you haven't mastered it yet, I would assume. Um, and so when you have a purposeful mindset in training, that also alleviates sort of the need to win in training. So then you can go in and be like, okay, well, I'm going to work on this. You just said you're really good at pressure passing. You might not be good at Baron Bolo. So you're like, okay, if I wanted to get better at Baron Bolo, tomorrow I'm going to go in and then I'm going to pull guard. I'm going to try to Baron Bolo. Maybe it'll be a person that's a lower rank than me so I can I can maybe move around a little. To, to, bring, to bring it back to Neff, Neff was very purposeful in like wanting to learn half guard. Mm. And now, years later, it's like, like I said, it's very annoying to deal with. He's a brown belt. He's also training in Muay Thai. He hasn't trained in Capoeira in a long time, but he's um, yeah, he's really an impressive learner for me because he also, selfishly, I say, he came to my fundamentals classes for years. <laughs> uh, so he's one of the best students that I dealt with uh, while I was at Brazil Zero to One. And so, so for you guys listening, now you should go to his fundamentals class with the Viana Brothers. <laughs> We're at Viana Brothers. With Monday, Viana Brothers. You'll, yeah, yeah. You, you'll get the brown belt real fast. <laughs> <laughs> Not promising any brown belts, but uh, Monday. He just did. He just did 100% certified, <laughs> guaranteed brown belt. Six three weeks. Three weeks. North Milwaukee, hit me up. <laughs> but yeah, no. So uh, you know, like it, 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 it's great that we uh, we were able to figure out that we had mutual friends because the jujitsu world, like I said, is small. Uh, sometimes feels really big, but it's really, really small because for somebody to get to purple belt like yourself, for somebody to get the brown belt, somebody to get the black belt, it takes years of commitment and. You're constantly having to reassess, reevaluate. I'm coming off an injury to a rib in April, and and uh, what happened know, to the rib? They call it a floating rib. It felt like my rib moved from my the left side of my rib cage into the center. Ooh, it was, yeah, it was uh, one of those situations. I was in turtle, and one of the purple belts pulled me back over my feet. And uh, yeah, it was uh, it was not a fun thing, but rib injuries are also, they reoccur a lot. Uh-huh. And uh, I wanted to make sure I took enough time to to heal up. But, you know, you know this, if you've taken any time off, the, the first thing to go is the cardio. And I'm coming back slowly to training and I'm feeling like, man, these guys are so fast. Yeah. But I'm just really cognizant of not getting injured. But I'm also learning to... In the meantime, by teaching, it's uh, it's one of the things that I really enjoy about teaching is having to explain a move to somebody requires you to understand the move. One hundred percent. It makes you it makes you a better practitioner. Yes, makes you a, a much better practitioner because you can show the move. You know, like a lot of people can demonstrate a move. That's that's how you do it, right? 
But now if you have to teach a class, you, you have to explain to your students. Sometimes they're as young as three years old. Sometimes they're as old as 70. But you have to explain to the person that has lesser of an understanding as you, why are we doing this? Why did you put your arm there? Why are you putting your knee there? Why do you do this? Why do you do that? And I think the, the best instructors that I've been around explain that effortlessly. And like you said, that makes you a better practitioner. So to understand a move, I'm constantly studying to go back to one of your old points because I I don't know everything. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it, and, then, it, yeah. and there's so much innovation in jujitsu constantly right. happening. It, you gotta you gotta keep up, otherwise you you fall behind, right? I mean, there's so much going on all the time. There's so much new stuff coming out. I I completely agree because there's the moves and positions sometimes don't change, but the setups change. Mm. There's going to be something coming up with lapel guard that we've never seen before. Like people are doing crazy things with the gi, and that's what makes jujitsu so fun. Is there's so many ways to attack or to control with with the jacket, right? Chokes and guards that we we probably have never seen before. They might be an offshoot of something we have seen before, but the innovation is something that we've never seen before. That's that's exciting about jujitsu. No gi, we're seeing it with the way people are, are entering leg entanglements. Mm -hmm. Because it's evolving right before our eyes, It's it sometimes can be overwhelming for, for somebody to be like, oh, I don't know any leg locks. If someone said that to me, I'd be like, how could you not? Like, leg locks are so fun. They're so fun. And everybody's doing them. Like, how can you not well, do at least one leg lock? One leg entanglement. Like, you got to know at least one. I mean, I don't yeah. care. I don't care if you're a white belt or whatever. I mean, I'm not saying first, you know, first day you should learn, uh, you know, leg locks. But, I mean, they're, they're so enticing. I don't see how people can resist the urge to want to learn a leg lock. And the IBJJF rules for, for listeners who aren't aware is that you can only do an, a straight ankle lock all the way up until brown belt. Mm. All right. And there's other, there's theories about why these rules are in place. If you ask the IBJJF, their answer would probably be safety. Even though we said earlier, the most unsafe thing I've ever seen at a, at a jujitsu competition was jumping guard because mm -hmm. you got all this weight falling down on the person's legs, right? So that's a story for another podcast. But if you came up through a school that didn't allow you to do knee bars, heel hooks, uh, toe holds, calf slicers, until you got your brown belt, that's how you can you can get a person with like, they have a purple belt on, and but they're like, I don't know shit about knee bars. I don't know shit about toe holds because all we do at my academy is ankle locks. Now, ankle locks, the foundation of a leg lock game. So you mm -hmm. do know one leg lock. Yeah. But if you got somebody who's proficient at all the leg locks, they're going to be running circles around you because they're they're training them. And I, I think it's a real disservice to students now to not expose them at least to the defense of these leg locks. I don't know if I'd do it with white belts. Mm -hmm. I could change my mind in the next few years as I uh, as I evolve as a teacher. But I think once a person gets to blue belt, and blue belt should be like the foundation. They have a foundational game in jujitsu. They understand an ankle lock. It, now would be the time once they're blue belt to to at least understand that you're fucked. 
right? <laughs> yes. that, that, and see, that's that's the way I like to, to put it, right? Yes. The argument is, oh, heel hooks are dangerous because of what, what it could do to your knee. But an arm bar is also dangerous, right? Mm-hmm. Arm bar or Kimura are also dangerous. Why are they viewed with less of um, a stigma? Because we do them all the time. You're a purple belt. I know if I do a Kimura to you, or attempt a Kimura, you know how to defend it right away. And you know when your breaking point is, when it's time to tap. Same thing with an arm bar. If I put you in arm bar, if you don't tap, of course your arm is going to snap, right? 100%. Now, if we transfer that same logic to leg locks, all right, that's why people are so scared of them because they haven't been in those situations where they're like, oh shit, I should tap here. Now, of course, heel hooks are different because of the way it, it breaks the leg. But for knee bars, toe holds, calf slicers, if we did them more at the earlier belts, people would be like, oh shit, now I'm fucked, now I'm tapped. Oh, you have my knee line trapped. There's no point. So my defense should be freeing my knee line. If you still have my knee line trapped and you're right before you're about to apply breaking pressure, then I tap, that's fine. That's a fine way to train. Mm-hmm. It's just that we don't, some of the academies that uh, are around, they don't have that same emphasis. They don't say, oh, you're a blue belt now. Let's put you in a knee bar. Let's show you what it's, you know, let's start drilling knee bars so that you know where your range of motion is actually with your knee. And it's not this, uh, it's not some foreign thing when you get your brown belt. Yeah, 100%. Like I saw Cyborg roll. I can't remember who it was, but he was rolling with this guy and that guy was attacking his legs. He was he was attacking yeah. his legs, hitting his legs, hitting his legs. And he was fighting, he was defending, he was doing all this. And the moment the guy just got that bite around that heel hook, yeah. Tapped. He tapped. I think I think the match you're talking about is the Gordon Ryan uh Gordon? match from 2017 ADCC. Yeah. And he, he once he got the entanglement, he knew he was fucked. Yeah. So that that's a high-level competitor. Is like there's no point to he's got my knee line trapped if he cranks for like a, a second and a half something's gonna there something's gonna knee. pop right and so i think that's really it's not that leg locks that separate heel hooks because but even then we can we can train people to realize when they are fucked mm-hmm. and i think that's really the difference because there's the brazilian emphasis wasn't on leg locks in fact Leg locks were frowned upon for the longest time by some old school Brazilians. Yep. If we evolve as a community and say, okay, we're going to show you when you're fucked, right? When you're fucked in a leg lock, where your range of motion is restricted, then I think it becomes less of a scary proposition to be like, okay, this school just does leg locks. No, 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 no. There's there's a way to do this. And I think that's where we're progressing in American Jiu-Jitsu is you know to go back to my original point you know when you're fucked in a kimura yes i i have a bum right shoulder for anybody that's about to roll with me (laughs) hit the shoulder it's the the right one right (laughs) if you if i'm you know if i'm defending a kimura and you separate it from my grip any distance i'm going to tap yeah. Why? Because I know that shoulder, you know, I don't want to uh, dislocate it again. Right. That's my understanding of my own range of motion. If we start teaching 
are blue belts, white belts, purple belts, where they're restricted in leg locks, I think it's going to be, it's going to do them a, a, a better service. And you won't have these situations where people are like, I don't know any leg locks. And then I'm a brown belt. Yeah. You know, like I know just an ankle lock. It's, it's kind of crazy because it's like 50% of the body, right? <laughs> Dude. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but no, but like, uh, like, like you're saying to be a brown belt and, and to not, have any leg locks that's 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 messed up but i mean i can understand is if you say oh you know yeah i know leg locks they're not my thing i this is my thing but but yeah i know i i know what a leg lock is i know what a right. leg entanglement is i know how to get out of them yeah, like, you gotta, that would be the key that's yeah. the key you say i know how to defend them yeah. i know how to get out of them that's yeah. what we want so yeah. they're not some foreign thing if you can say like we say i don't know i don't do baron bolo a lot yeah but at least i know some defense to it Exactly. You, know, you have to understand how the game is evolving. And if you're not teaching your lower belts at least how to defend leg locks right now, I think you're doing them a big disservice because people are doing it. If you go into a tournament, it's, they're not testing who has the best overall jujitsu in a five-minute match, right? Yeah. If some guy does leg locks, you better know how to fucking defend them. Yeah, because they're and not going to care about your, yeah, your legs. Not, they're, they're, this, isn't a this isn't a belt test, all right? No. I'm going out here to try to win. Yeah. So if my way to win is sit underneath you, pop your legs up, get into an entanglement, and he'll hook you, shit, it might only take 10 seconds. Yeah. Um, but if you don't teach your students how to defend that, then I think you're doing them a big disservice. Well, I, I think one of the things that, that could happen, especially in competition, is like when you're when you're in the academy and you're rolling with someone and hopefully he's not a psychopath, you right. know. <laughs> You're gonna walk away. You're gonna walk home. You're gonna, right. Your legs are still gonna be in one piece. At the at the tournament, uh, that guy is gonna keep going until the referee says stop. <laughs> yeah. And it, and if you don't know when to tap, man, that's <sighs> that's on you. You know, like to exactly. a certain extent. To a certain extent. I mean, I know there's some guys will just like you know just they. But Edgar, I've seen some crazy stuff in at, at Naga tournaments, viral videos where coaches are screaming, "Don't tap!" and then the guy gets his arm snapped. Now, of course, yes. Would I rather have an arm injury or a leg injury? I would choose the arm injury. Mm. Okay. So therein yeah. lies the fear factor for leg locks. But if you are competing and they do allow leg locks, and I'm talking about leg locks past the ankle lock, mm. you, if, you're, if your academy isn't focusing on leg lock defense, I think you're doing a big disservice to your students because it's such a meta way to, to win a match is to go for a leg lock mm -hmm. i hate to you you know gordon ryan against uh the, in the last adcc you know you get a negative point for pulling guard he's just like full guard and he just heel hooked that mm -hmm. i forget the guy's name huge guy mm -hmm. but he heel hooked him in like 15 seconds oh i remember i remember that match i yeah. uh he it, it almost happened prematurely like yeah dude, it, it, he I, knew he knew his leg was about to fucking explode yeah but it was it's such a quick finish. It's such an efficient way to finish a match. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I'm not putting words in your mouth, but I think what you're saying is sometimes adrenaline, you know, and if you don't know how to defend a leg lock, your adrenaline's pumping, you're just going off hard and guile. You're like, you might hang on for a, a few seconds too long. And, and in a leg lock, a few seconds is all you need to go mm -hmm. from, a sore joint 
to a destroyed joint. Yeah. Um, but that just goes back to my old point. Instructors need to be instructing students on how to recognize, and I, for lack of a better term, recognize when you're fucked. Yeah. So it's like <laughs> there, there was a um, there was a horrific heel hook injury from Nogi Worlds last year, uh-huh. like audible, a snap so bad. I mean, I had to turn it down after like the twentieth watch, and I'm I'm crazy like that because I watch something like that to try to time how long that person had to tap. Uh huh. And it was, I'll send it to you off the, uh, after the podcast is over. <laughs> but what, what happened was to me, it looked like that person trained leg locks, not as much as the person who, who did the move. And, you know, it comes from a, an understanding of, of leg locks as a very efficient uh, way to win instead of focusing on offense or trying to become a leg lock expert what you should be doing is trying to become a leg lock defense expert 100%. so that you can defend them and then implement your game. Because if you, if you have people who are out here trying leg locks off the bat, I think a smart way to do it would be like, all right, well let's, let's get your defense up to the point where nobody can get a cheap leg lock on you. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then we go from there because what right now, the chasm between people who know leg locks and people who don't, is so wide right yeah that, this is why we know they named craig jones mm-hmm. when he when he heel hooked leandro low in the 17 nobody knew who the fuck he was it was just gonna be leandro low's just gonna run over this guy who's from australia but you could tell the chasm between craig jones's knowledge of leg locks and leandro low one of the greatest of all time his knowledge of leg locks was it was so vast and I think that's what's happening right now in the sort of hobbyist local competitor scene is depending on what academy you're at is going to dictate your knowledge of one of the most efficient competition tools that we have right now. So uh, speaking of cheap leg locks or uh, foot locks, <laughs> my favorite cheap foot lock is is the Estima lock while, you, while I'm standing. You put that foot on my hip, I'm going to... I'm going to grab that. I'm not, I'm not going to do that to my partners. You know, <laughs> so I'll, I'll, I'll snatch that and scare them. You know, so now I know why Emilio's <laughs> and Naftali were said such good things about you. You, I mean, that you're a man after my own heart. I was <laughs> explaining the esteem a lot. Uh-huh. Of course, I don't go for breaking pressure when uh-huh. I do it in the training room because that would be a very dickish thing to do. But what yeah. I do use it for is to get them to turn their foot. Yeah. Or to also, rec- to also have them recognize don't don't be so casual with your foot there mm. because we could break your foot right here yeah all right with the esteem a lot um again a very efficient way to end a match mm-hmm. you you don't want to be a dick i'm not going for it 100 in the training room but what i am doing is i'm gonna use that leg lock to get you to react turn your body and then it's gonna it's gonna make my guard pass easier i do that a lot of times with toe holds and esteem locks. So that's what it's like. You see, uh, I, I didn't even think about all that. I just want to give people nightmares, give them a little PTSD. <laughs> they put that foot on there. I'm like, oh, you know, and I just scare the shit out of them, you know. But I, you can do that too with uh, wrist locks. Oh, okay. <laughs> you can do that too with wrist locks. I yeah, yeah, don't forget to, uh, 5% of the body, right? Yeah, right. It's like, yeah, the little 5% that people forget about. Shout out to Professor Dennis Voss at uh, Brazil 021, the wrist lock master. Uh, who's getting wrist locks from everywhere. 
think of much pause, but uh, it's, yeah. it's, it, 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 it makes jujitsu fun. Like, he, you know, you grab it there to remind them that, hey, I could have broken your wrist yeah. or hey, I could have broken your foot. Mm. It's going to make them cautious the next time they either grip with their wrist or the way they turn their foot when it's resting on your hip, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll I'll try to hit that even from the knees if they're like lazy with their with their butterfly oh, yeah. guard. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's great. <laughs> yeah, if, if they're lazy, if they're lazy with their butterfly guard and they leave that foot on my hip or yeah. something, I'll go ahead and do it there too. Um, De La Hiva. Uh, you know, I'm, uh, I'm not, Oh, you do it from De La Hiva? Yeah. So if you're standing and they're doing De La Hiva, it's not estima per se, but it's mm. more like corkscrew ish. Mm. Um, you're gonna have to show me one of these I'm, days. Yeah, I'll just. You know, if I can if I can reach your your heel and I can press against your toes, there's going to be some sort of, hey, uh, be be careful here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm, I'm hitting you with a warning shot. Yeah, just a little little bit of a, a little bit of a, a warning. So because of that, I, I play De La Hiva a little bit. I don't I don't like to put that far foot near somebody's hip. So I'll, I'll like hook it behind. Oh, yeah. Really? I I don't also I'm a very short guy, mm. five six. Guys who are a lot taller and have uh, longer legs uh, play De La Hiva a little different. Mm-hmm. I don't like to leave that dangling there or up pressing up against their hips. So it's also nightmares from Professor Draguino uh, hitting me <laughs> with leg locks from my own De La Hiva. So it's man, it, it, you got me all fired up here for open mat. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna steam unlock people. Oh, yeah, I'm gonna I, do- I, I got <laughs> steam locks and corkscrews and, and slots coming for everybody at the. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so I have a, I have, I have a couple questions that I like asking everybody. Yeah. And uh, one of those questions is, uh, what do you do with the spazzy new guy? You might have some wrestling background, or maybe he's just yeah. spazzy, too much energy. Uh, what do you do with that guy? Do you, if he starts getting too wild, maybe hurting people, or you're afraid he's gonna hurt people, what do you do with that guy? So, um, you know, my competition weight was 150, 140, a uh, little guy. I've gained uh, some pounds since the pandemic. I uh, haven't competed in uh, about a year, but uh, I'm a smallish training partner, right? Mm-hmm. Whenever I have somebody who, who trains like that, it's because they don't know, they don't have an understanding of their own body yet in jujitsu. And I let them expend a lot of energy. Mm. And in a transition, then I'll end up on top and it doesn't matter how heavy they are. I'll end up on top. And then I just take my time and I'll give them a little bit of a shoulder in the face and I'll end up getting on top. And a lot of times I'll end up submitting them. So I I, I try to slow it down and show them the, the efficacy, the efficiency that which they should be trying to move. Mm -hmm. Uh, They don't know yet. I'm not, it's not, about me pumping my own ego. I'm just, if you're going to do that, I'm not going to match that sort of energy because it's very dangerous for me. 100%. For me to to try to match that energy, especially if you're like 20 years younger than me or something like that, or you're way stronger. I'm going to let you do that. But I'm going to show you the error that way. Like mm-hmm. you're going to make one mistake, I'm going to end up on top. I'm very confident if this person is, uh, I don't care if they if they wrestled, you know, um, because a D1 wrestler might not be that spazzy, right? Yeah. If you're, say, let's say an old high school wrestler, and I can talk about high school wrestlers because I was a high school wrestler. I was too. Yep, yeah, exactly. That was, <laughs> so, you know, so now if you come in and you're like, you think you know, and you're going to, you're 
you're just moving like we moved in wrestling, like speed and power. And then all of a sudden, you're going to tip you over with a little old man jujitsu. I'm going to end up on top. I'm going to keep you there until it's time to submit you. And what I what I try to instill in, in that student would be to an understanding of efficiency of movement, economy of movement. And I think that's what's, I don't even really like the word spaz, but like I know exactly what you're talking about. The training partner who's um, not reckless, or actually sometimes is reckless. Sometimes is, yeah. Right. Reckless with movement. And it, we want to show them how to be more economical, be smarter, and um, use energy efficiency. And that's really where the, if once you start seeing that in a student, that's when you know that they're progressing to the next level. And um, that's how I would really deal with it. I never try to, you know, you never try to meet force with force. If I, if this person is pushing, pushing, pushing really hard, and I try to push back with the same type of energy, I'm going to get hurt. Yeah. I have too many injuries already. So the way I deal with it would be like, let them do that, protect myself. Eventually, they're going to make a mistake, give me an opening. I'm going to end up on top. And then I'll show that, hey, we don't need to move like that for me to submit you. Yeah. Right. In fact, so, you helped me submit you. Exactly. You <laughs> yeah, you you gave me what I needed. Right. To get you, to where you, you gave me the the opening that I needed. Um, you know, and that's not to say that I don't. I love training hard. You're just not the person that I'm going to do this with because, and no offense to white belts, but if you got a white belt or you just started and you're you're moving like that, I'm definitely not going to try to match that. So that's how I would deal with that type of training partner. You make a key point that I think is important because, and, and I'll, I'll get to it in a sec, but for me, I believe this is a mistake. One of the things I was doing was, uh, especially with a new spazzy guy, I'll let him do whatever and keep myself safe and keep him safe. Because yeah. sometimes that's also a thing, like they'll hurt themselves, right? you know? And so I'm, I'm keeping everybody safe, but then I don't, ever really depending on who he is and how crazy he is i may not ever get on top and, and take advantage of that like i don't make an effort of doing that i'm just defending right and i've made a mistake and i say that's a mistake because and uh before i didn't care i'm like oh this is not an ego thing i don't care if he wins or if he stays right. on top or he feels he wins right but one of the things i realized later on is is that i do jujitsu a disservice by letting this new guy think he got away with smushing me because i was a, a purple belt you know, yeah. and uh, I didn't care, but then I saw what it does to that person, right? Because then he thinks, one, he thinks that he's better than he is, right? But then yeah. he doesn't think that there's any value in jujitsu, and I may not see that guy again, right? You know, so um, I've I've changed that strategy now. I I still worry about keeping myself safe, yeah, and and keeping him safe, but I make it a point to get on top and show them, Hey, <laughs> yeah, you know, like, uh, you don't know as much as you think, you know, Re relax, you know? buddy. <laughs> yeah. Relax. Chill, chill the F out, you know? Yeah, I, chill out. yeah. Before I was, I was, and I just recently realized this cause it was like, you know, people get smushed, you know, people smush me and it doesn't matter to me. I'm usually the bigger guy in the class, you know? Yeah. So like, you know, a 60, 160 pound guy trying to smush me, not a big deal, you know? Yeah. But then they, they walk away thinking that they, they did something. They did and I'm something like, you, like, you didn't do anything. You didn't submit me. You didn't get anywhere. Yeah. You just, you either stayed in my guard or we played half guard or I, you know, or I just sat there. But now I make it a point to do what you're saying. Yeah. Get on top 
and yeah, show right. them that they got dominated. You know, show them jujitsu. Show them jujitsu. Exactly. Right. Because what they were doing wasn't a refined version of jujitsu yet. And then mm-hmm. you can show them like, hey, I can defend everything you got here, because you're only moving, right? With mm-hmm. no intention, reckless intention. Who knows? Uh, but what I did was I did jujitsu to get on top. Then mm. you're not proving a point per se. You're just you're just showing them the power of a, a calm, patient jujitsu practitioner, and so that's good, I think, um, because you have you have to you can't just defend. Yeah, right. You have to show them that hey, this is how you attack. All right, I showed you that your your movement is going to be ineffectual. Now I'm going to show you how to attack um, patiently. Patiently, yeah, yes. That's very good. Yeah, that, that's uh, now I can't wait to train with you, Edgar. <laughs> You're going to yeah. do Baron Bolos, Ashima <laughs> locks, and then I'm going to spaz out. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so how often do you compete? Um. So I competed a lot more when uh, before my son was born. My son, shout out to my son Zion. Uh, he's just turned four. He was born in nineteen when I was uh, brown belt. So up until then, I was competing like six, seven times a year. I've done Ooh. seven. Yeah, I've done seven fight the win uh, matches. I think my overall match count is in like the 70s wow yeah so it's like i was yeah i was competing a lot because i think competition is a really expedited way to improvement yes and so i i tell people that all the time doesn't matter if you win or lose it's hard if you're a white belt to be like it doesn't matter if i win or lose it matters. It, 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 it matters. <laughs> what it am matters. I doing here? You know, I hear this all the time. Yeah. Uh, I lost seventy percent of my matches at white belt. Mm. I got choked out unconscious my first match at blue belt. I hyperextended both of my arms in my first gi tournament at, or Ooh. first Chicago Open at blue belt. And I'm not saying this to brag, but a year and a half later, I took first at Nogi Worlds in blue belt. And I'm only saying that because I been at that point where you lose i've been on somebody's highlight reel in a fight to win i've i've been submitted and and it had like fifty thousand views on on flow grappling but i've also submitted somebody and it have tens of thousands of views on flow grappling it's because i was viewing tournaments and matches as ways to improve and to harken back to one of my earlier points about being purposeful you know the last time i did nogi worlds i got choked unconscious again. Uh, but I was being very purposeful in that tournament because I was at the tail end of Brown Belt. And, you know, at the time we were working a lot on stand up, a lot on takedowns. And I was working a lot on top game passing guard. So I was like, I'm not going to pull this tournament. I'm not going to pull guard. I'm not going to pull half guard, which I'd, I'd done for years. And I got a bite on a single leg and the guy pulled me back into a, a triangle. It was something I never actually had thought about. Now mm. that I see it, I actually posted on my Instagram page. Now that I see it a lot, I'm like, oh my God, why did I think of that? But in the moment, I'm like, oh shit. All right. Well, once I grab the single leg, I should be moving faster. I should be squaring my hips up so he can't get a triangle on me. So I still use that as uh, fuel, motivation, and a teaching moment for me 
And that's why I competed so much is like, I had to get it out of my head about the wins and losses. It's, it's really hard to do. I it's think it's super hard, dude. It's, it's, re it's really, 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 really hard to do it. When you do a fight to win tens of, well, back when it was, you know, just coming up tens of thousands of people watching, um, thousand people in the arena, you're on an elevator. It's, it's really hard to be like, nobody gives a fuck if you win or lose. Mm. Um, and there should be a little bit of, you do want to win, but if you lose it, it you, you're trying to get to the point where it doesn't crush you. It doesn't defeat your desire to c continue in jujitsu. Mm -hmm. What you can do is you're like, all right, well, now I know that I need to work on X, Y, and Z. Cause this person who doesn't train at the Academy with me, fuck me up with it. Yeah. Right. Uh, my first batch of blue belt, I got loop choked mm. straight out, woke up, ref was smiling at me. <sighs> <laughs> I was like, oh shit. Now I know what just happened. <laughs> <laughs> but because of that, I'm very purposeful in, oh, somebody's got a gra uh, grip on my collar. I'm not going to try to pass the dart. I could get loop choked. Um, it's it stayed with me for eight and a half years now. That one moment where I, I got loop choked has helped my training, helped me be purposeful in my training ever since then. And loop choke now from guard is one of my favorite techniques to um, to attempt and to try in competition because of that. It's was it would I rather have won the match? I think so. Yeah. But I used it as a tool for me to improve. I'm no psychologist. I'm no therapist. It's really fucking hard to tell somebody that the, the result doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, well, there's so much going on too, right? Like you're talking about an arena, right? There's yeah. all that pressure, right? Right. But like if you win and you hear that crowd, yeah, it just fuels you, man. You just feel bigger than you could ever be. With all that, all those people yelling and screaming and yelling your name yeah. and freaking out. Right, right, like, right. Oh, yeah, shit, I know. <laughs> you know, like, like that shit. That shit. Like, I mean, I've been there. Like, I've, you know, I fought and in, uh, in uh, kickboxing and knocked some guy out, and the fucking crowd yeah. goes crazy. And right, it, it's you, nuts. I mean, fight the win was crazy too because you you go off. Seth hands you shout out Seth Daniels. Fight the win ADCC. He hands you cash. He hands you cash. Yeah, like if you win, if mm -hmm. you submit the guy or gal, you you get cash, and then you walk out, and people are handing you beers, and people are doing whatever backstage. <laughs> Not like an MJJF tournament; it's like a fucking party. <laughs> uh, but it's like it's the adrenaline from winning is so high. Mm -hmm. But I don't like to chase that feeling as much as I like to chase. Okay, what did I do well? Mm -hmm. What can I do? Uh, again, to improve because my goal in jujitsu is to train until I can't train anymore. Mm. And so, if you if you view that as your as your aim, then these are all little little uh, landmarks on your journey. I hate to be like try to be all Confucius or positive uh -huh. about these things, but you can you can go through purple belt, lose every match. I lost every match. For a year at Purple Belt. Oh, man. But I was working on things. And so, you know, shout out to Andre, Terencio, and Hanette. They, they were very, very patient with the way they charted out how their com competitors would work on things. And then 
I was losing all these matches. I was losing these close decisions in IBJJF. And then August of 18 came around, and I had a three-week stretch where I uh, tapped a guy to fight the win. Then I went to the Chicago Open. I took first in the game. Nice. And then in uh, Master Worlds, I took third. So I went five and one in a three-week stretch that erased in my mind all of the losses because I had got the podium in, in Master Worlds. I had won a match at Fight to Win. I got gold me- my first gold medal at a, a IBJJF uh, Chicago Open tournament. And it was because I was using all, and because my instructor was helping me, use all of my little tiny you know, improvements, what things I can improve on uh, from the losses. And I was taking those things that I, I was trying to improve on and working on them in the training room with my purposeful training. So I, um, you know, I, nobody has to be like me in jujitsu. I'm just using these examples as like ways that competition helped me. And I think ways that competition can help all practitioners because at the end of the day, I mean, it doesn't really matter. All we're trying to do is get better. Yeah. Um, and uh, it, but like I said, I understand it's really, 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 really fucking hard. Dude, the thing good. that helped me was uh, the BJJ mental coach. His podcast. He was like, "This might help." Fifty percent of the tournament is going to lose their first match. Hmm. That means that all the adult black belts, 50% of them are going to lose their first match. So you're going to be, you're in the, you're in either 50% regardless, Uh win or lose. You're, you know, there's going to be people who lost their first match. Like some of the best in the world went to worlds this past week and lost their first match. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, so if you think about it like that, you're like, all right, what can I work on? Uh, if I lose, even if I lose in spectacular fashion, I've lost in spectacular fashion multiple times. I've gotten injured in, in multiple matches. What I did focus on was how is this going to help me become a better practitioner and a better uh, competitor? You know, uh, speaking of spectacular uh, losses, I mean, good for, and good for you for keeping that focus and making sure that it's about the lessons learned yeah. and not so much about Thank the winning you. and the losing. Uh, winning's nice. It's a nice to yeah, have, but right. But uh, speaking of like spectacular losses, <laughs> I was a mediocre wrestler, but I, I had wins and I had losses, and I got, <laughs> I got. Oh man, it, it. I don't know why this still sticks in my head, but uh, <laughs> I went. We went to some, you know, uh, you know, uh, rural high school at one point, and we went to we went to you know wrestle against this team. They wiped the floor with us, right? But. When I went up against my guy at 170, I think at the time I, I was, this guy was long and lanky, and I was like, I got this guy. Yeah. We we square <laughs> up, we you know, we we shake hands, the referee blows the whistle, and I come at him and he I went for like a shot. I went for a single, and he just sidestepped me and grabbed me in the cradle, picked me up into the air, and then put me on my back. And then standing cradle from a from your shot from my shot like i didn't even get to put my knee to the, i didn't even get to put my knee to the ground my knee was close to my chest because i was going to shoot low right uh-huh. and so he just he he took that opportunity and and 
clamped on my head and my leg, put me in a cradle and pinned me. And I think I lost in like less than 10 seconds. Oh, Jesus. It was horrible. (laughs) (laughs) So like, don't feel bad, man. We all have horrible fucking losses. Every, Every single one of us, we have shit that we can't get rid of in our head. But I will say you probably, that probably never happened again. Oh no, hell no. Right, right. So, <laughs> so there's a little sliver of improvement there from yeah. uh you know, I got standing cradled yeah. uh, off a shot. That's fucking nuts. Oh <laughs> uh, dude, it was it was it was incredible. Like if it wasn't me, I would have been like, damn, you know, but like Did you uh wrestle in the city? I were I wrestled in the city. I was uh I was part of a small high school Quigley out in uh in the middle of uh downtown. Oh, okay. Yeah, I coached wrestling for two years at Chicago Academy, Roscoe and Austin. Mm, okay. um, CPS wrestling, some really good guys, at least back then, back in uh, 11 and 12. But uh, yeah, no, that's if you compete, the chance of you losing and losing in spectacular fashion is there. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's part of what we sign up for as competitors. It all depends on who shows up, right? I mean, yeah. you, you might get the the Mike Tyson, or you might get <laughs> right. You might get some scrub, right? Like yeah. you, know, you might get Craig Jones, or <laughs> you know, yeah. Was here at a, that a a work event, and somebody was talking about knowing this boxer from Indiana, and the, the boxer was saying, you know, I went twelve rounds with Julio Cesar Chavez. What? Yeah, twelve rounds with Julio Cesar Chavez. He was one of the ones you know. You probably find him on the Wikipedia page, but he's like, he's just this like scrawny white guy from Indiana. But he was like, I, he didn't knock me out. Like that's yeah. uh, you know that that, that you, therein he found the silver lining that showed that he was uh, you know that he he proved himself. He didn't beat Julio Cesar Chavez because nobody was beating him back then. Mm-hmm. But he went twelve rounds, didn't get knocked out. You know, so it's hard in this society sometimes we, we focus so much on winning and you know the last thing i'll say on that is i read i read a book called the art of learning by josh waitskin he's the chess player that was the focus of the movie searching for bobby fisher mm. he's also a jiu-jitsu black belt and under marcelo garcia and i think he runs the academy up there but there's a chapter called the art of um sorry the book is called The Art of uh, Learning, and the, the chapter is called Investment in Loss. And talks about investment in losing because you learn, you know, it's like it's it's a way to like clear your brain from the result. But like you're investing in all these losses. And it was like, you know, what can I learn from this? I, I put my time in here for the loss. And what what did I get out of it? And for me, like it was there's a light at the end of the tunnel. If I just keep doing what I'm supposed to do. If I just keep learning, eventually it's going to happen. And it did for me and hopefully would would for other people if they just commit to like, look, this one loss can be wiped away. These losses can be wiped away by the next win. Mm-hmm. I lost my first three fight to win matches. I ended up winning three out of the last four. I said, I'm not, again, bragging about that. I'm just saying that it, it was, you know, I could have said, I don't want to do it anymore. After my first match, getting choked by Danny Villanueva, shout out to Danny, and it being on Flow Grappling, tens of thousands of views. I could have just said, I don't want to do it anymore, but I just kept doing it. And eventually I got on the the other side of the um, of getting my hand raised. Well, you definitely got like the best fighter mentality because that's something very common. What you're saying is it's like, if I can just get one more win, if I get yeah. this win, it will erase everything behind. Everything before that yeah. was just 
part of me getting to this win. Mm-hmm. And so that it's, it's like I said, I understand it's really fucking hard to think like that in the moment. Everybody, everybody wants to win. If you don't want to win, you shouldn't compete or you, you know, you, you should want to win. Right? 100%. Yeah, yeah. You should prepare to win. You should prepare as crazy as you can, as hard as you can to win. But I think the understanding that, you know, in a competition, there's going to be a loser. And, you know, a lot of times it's going to be you. Yeah, it can so, be. Yeah. Yeah. So I, that that's really what I'm I'm trying to get. The point I'm trying to get across about competing is, is that you can use those losses to fuel your improvement. Um, so, so I have a question that I like asking, especially people who have, who compete a lot. Yeah. Um, do you have any kind of like superstitious or rituals or other behaviors to get you ready for the fight? Do you, <laughs> do you wear a special hat to the ring or to the, to the mat at, at fight to win? Do you, do you eat a special food? Do you, uh, you sleep a certain way? You can only sleep facing the South or like what, 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 uh, do you have anything like that? That, uh, that so, um, <laughs> It's funny. I it, I don't want to be uh, stereotypical, but you know my uh, weight cut post weight cut meal is always um, Chinese food. <laughs> Something about eating rice your whole life, and then when you restrict it, it's always like I really, really, really want to eat a greasy <laughs> Chinese food meal. So that would be like the one superstition. And I I'm a nervous guy, so I don't. I can't focus really. So a lot of times in tournaments, I'm the I'm the chatty guy in fight the win. It's the chatty guy in the uh, you know backstage or at an IBJJF tournament. It's just like I end up talking too much, and it it keeps my brain off of the uh, like oh shit, what am I about what I'm about to do? So it's like mm. I have this nervous energy that I, I I walk around a lot. So I don't actually. I even after all these matches, I, I probably don't warm up correctly, but it's just the way that I'm able to, you know, like be comfortable walking out. Then once you walk out, uh-huh. you slap hands. Then, then, then I think that's the easy part because then you're just doing jujitsu. Yeah, lead up to it where you're thinking about, oh shit, I'm about to do another fight to win match, or oh man, this is my black belt debut in in uh, the gi. IBJJF like I don't I try not to think about that and the way that I the best way that I know how to not think about things is like bug my friend over here who's also trying to get ready for a tournament uh talk about nothing or, or see how they're doing and uh that's that's the way that I do it I I know a lot of people have different ways people get into their zone people listen to music mm. uh people get really warmed up like they break into a huge sweat I'm not that guy. I just, I get warmed up just so um, the limbs are stretched. And then I'm like kind of just walking around and waiting to find it who I can bug backstage. A lot of times it would, you know, backstage at Fight the Win would be my teammates like Vinny. Shout out to Vinny. Shout out to Kristen Mickelson who've done a lot of Fight the Wins with me. At IBJJF tournament, it'll be somebody who's maybe from another team. But, uh, but yeah, that's the way that I do it. I try to calm my nervous energy somehow. That's interesting. Uh, yeah. For competition, I get I get super quiet. I want to be left alone. Yeah. Someone someone like you talking to me would drive me nuts. Right. <laughs> yeah, you might you might for 
you know, for sake of being polite, you, you might not say, hey, Paul, get the fuck away from me, man. I got a match. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't say anything. I would just like yeah. walk away or just yeah, like, hey. Yeah, walk away. I wouldn't even <laughs> say like. I can, I can read some energy too. So I yeah. know there's one of those situations where like this person's like, no, I'll talk to you after, Paul. <laughs> you, well, you see, well, if I were you, like I would talk to my opponent and just be bugging the shit out of him. <laughs> so that's funny because I've become longtime friends with uh, like over a handful of my opponents. So that that happens a lot of times in the uh, in the bullpen at an IBJJF tournament. You just start talking. You're just like, "Hey, you're here. Hey, what's what's going on?" Shout out to Mike Schrader, Quentin Park, Tommy Cho. All these guys are guys I competed against. <laughs> and when you're in the old man division, you compete against the same people mm-hmm. a lot. And that yeah, that's what happens. So then we end up just we end up probably just relieving each other's nervous energy in the bullpen. Like <laughs> yeah. I, I used to frustrate. Uh, uh, my old instructor, like, you know, focus, like, you know, you're going to war, like, <laughs> no, I'm like, hey, I'm fucking nervous. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to not be nervous here, dude, dude. Like, uh, uh, my, I think my first white belt tournament ever. Uh, there was like, like four or five guys. We were all sitting there, yeah. And I was, I was trying to get in the zone. I was trying, like, you know, because I mean, I have kickboxing experience, I have boxing experience, I have some wrestling experience, and and my mindset was always like. You know, I got to get in the kill mode. Kill, kill, kill. Yeah. Right? yeah. And so I'm sitting there and I'm, and I'm, you know, bouncing up and down in my, in my spot and just trying to keep the sweat going and trying to keep focused, trying to think about what I'm going to do if it happens at all, you know? And then there's, there was this guy who was like talking to me and I'm like, and like, dude, I'm, I'm about to, you know, like fight you right war. now. We're going to war right now, dude. Like, <laughs> yeah. leave me the fuck alone. I got, I got to be angry at you, you know? <laughs> And he's like, yeah, oh man, he he was like, it was like his first day out or something. Like, I guess his wife doesn't let him out of the house or something. And, <laughs> it's a caged animal. Yeah. And so he was like, oh, I have friends now, you know. And he's like talking. Right. I'm like, and, and and I'm trying to be nice to them because you know, in case he's better than me, he doesn't like destroy me, you know. Right. Yeah, but I, also, I was just like, just you know, go away, you know, you <laughs> know. And so during the match, he was like talking to me too. And so, like, I, I, I forgot what I did. I, I, I think I just put him, like, in side control or something stupid. Some, I mean, something simple. I, and I put some shoulder pressure, and he's like, ooh, you're strong. And I'm like, dude, we're not having a conversation right now. <laughs> the time for talking is over. Yeah, dude. But afterwards, you know, I'm friendly with everybody. Like, yeah. afterwards, it's all over. I don't have to think like that anymore. It's, it's done. It's relieved. I got, I got metal. I don't got a metal, whatever. It's right. done. Then we can be friends. Then we can chat. But right now... <laughs> Not during the match, man. <laughs> Maybe that was a tactic. That's a good strategy, actually. Yeah, because it was distracting. <laughs> it's like very distracting. I was just I was like, supposed what? to be talking during our match. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, if he was talking shit, that would be more comfortable for me. Like, it's just, right. uh, what, you think you got something? Like, if he would have said that to me, I'm like, oh, I'm going to show you, man. But then, like, he, so he was like, whoa, you're strong. And I'm I like, try that. I like, <laughs> and I'm oh, like, that's a good grip there, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, like distract the shit out of me. Yeah, because all I could think was like, uh, okay, uh, thank you. <laughs> you know, like you don't know how to do. You're, you're you're supposed to be fighting the guy, right? Yeah, right. I was just like, what? But um, one thing I used to do for a long time um was I would also like pre-fight stuff, any competition, no sex. Didn't, uh, didn't, you know, just nothing. Yeah. And I'd be the fucking angriest fucking guy. Yeah. You know? 
Uh, that's like an old school fight thing. I've heard that. Yeah, I've heard that theory a lot about sort of trapping all your energy, your aggression, and then yeah. it comes out during the competition. Uh, yeah, I don't think it's good for you though. But like, uh, yeah. but like I used to do that. Yeah, and, and I still know guys who still kind of do that. Like if they compete, and I'm like, wow, if you have sex regularly, yeah. it increases testosterone. But like, also not having sex makes you a very uncomfortable person to be yeah. around you know <laughs> we don't want a tmi for the female uh listeners but yeah, <laughs> yeah oh, I, it's a, it, it's a theory that i don't i don't put into practice when yeah. I, I i don't know it, it sounds very uncomfortable it's not good it's it, yeah i don't do it anymore but there was a time where i used to do that and i was just like i it's I, old school i've heard it a lot um like with uh with fight sports specifically yeah it, it makes you really angry like you, yeah. you get really freaking right. angry you know right. i mean imagine going a month two months without right like, and it's it's interesting because i don't think that anger manifests itself well in jujitsu it might manifest itself in other fight sports where you have to punch and kick or you have to be like you don't have to be the aggressor in jujitsu to win mm -hmm. you could you could sit on your butt you know like enter a leg lock entanglement like we've been talking about and then hit a hit a heel hook you don't have to like i'm gonna go take this fucking guy down i'm yeah. gonna smash him inside control i'm gonna get him out i'm gonna you know yeah uh, do do that you you don't have to be aggressive in in jujitsu to uh be successful and that maybe that you know maybe for a maybe for an mma fighter maybe for a, a kickboxer mm -hmm. or a boxer it might be more beneficial i don't know i i just don't think uh for me it, it was something that i'd ever thought about and plus we're like hobbyists right we're not professional athletes maybe for a professional athlete yeah who knows uh i think it's worth trying yeah but I, I like what you're saying though you're saying that that kind of energy may not be serving you very well when it comes to grappling yeah i don't know i i think there's a you you can have multiple mindsets in jiu-jitsu Mm -hmm. flexibility of that makes it uh appealing to a lot of people and i think that old school mentality or old school tactic of trapping the aggression works in other sports better probably mm -hmm. and uh you know we ha i mean you have to be aggressive in mma you can't just i mean i think Ron gracie proved it by the negative but you can't just be like i'm gonna be passively pulling guard and and whatnot when you start punching and kicking people in the face there has, there's a certain level of aggression that's just not there in jujitsu. Yeah. And if you are trying to trap your aggression, it would work better for football. It would work better for other sports where you, you know, where your aggressiveness is probably going to pay off with, with more value. I, yeah. So kudos to you. I would never try <laughs> myself. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. The, I mean, yeah, it doesn't happen anymore. Uh, <laughs> I'm married. You're married. Now. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't happen. Like, yeah, everything's good here. <laughs> um, with the podcast. <laughs> um, so, um, I I did want to ask you one uh question because I thought yeah. it was hilarious that you posted yeah. this. You yeah. posted a little a little thing on on Instagram, and you said uh, we were going to talk about culty gyms. So uh, what, are, what are your, uh, if you want to touch the subject, you can say, no, it's cool if you don't want to, but if you wanted to point out some of the, some, some of the signs that you might be joining a culty gym, 
people are starting to become more aware of some signs that you are in a, not a cult per se, because I think people's visions of cults are like David Koresh or, you know, these religious cults tied to religion and Mm -hmm. spirituality and things like that. Now you can be in a jujitsu academy that has cultish vibes and some of the signs are, you know, the no cross training is one thing that is biggest signs. I don't know where it emanates from back in Brazil. It emanated from maybe everybody was trying to protect the techniques that they were doing at their academy, uh, or maybe they had special techniques. Now with the internet, everybody sees that fucking everything. Yeah. You know, you running an academy and then telling a one of your paying customers that they can go and train somewhere else is a sign that you're you're running something that's got some culty vibes. The the uniform restriction is one thing that I, I you know that really irks a lot of people. I'm already paying you, but now you're forcing me only to wear uh, your patch and you or your gi. You have to buy your gi, gi. Right, yeah. right. And I'm not going to call any schools out by name, but I will. Everybody, everybody just, knows them. Yeah, I'm just playing. Uh, I won't. <laughs> right. Um, but also, then is like the cult of personality. Is if you then start viewing your uh, instructor as more than what they are, they're your jujitsu instructor, right? But if you start viewing them, I mean, I, I've, I've been a ref at tournaments and I, I've seen some stuff online. That parent just said something insane about we'll follow you through the gates of hell. I think that was the actual quote. And it, it was because the instructor was threatened one of the referees to a fight. Oh, boy. And I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> and you guys are still paying to have your child train with this man? Oh man. I think what happens in jujitsu academies, it happened to me as well, is that because the jujitsu instructor is so instrumental to your self-improvement, we attach qualities to that instructor that they don't deserve. Mm-hmm. We, they, they they all of a sudden become somebody like a, a you know, a, a life mentor, a life coach is what the post I saw was. And I was like, no, that person was instrumental in you becoming physically healthy. And jujitsu, because jujitsu is so good for your physical health. If you train every day, you're going to be really, really, really physically, you're going to improve physically. And so what, what the, the, the danger is then is that you then attach certain qualities about this person that they don't deserve. They're not all of a sudden an expert on politics. They're not all of a sudden an expert on relationships. They might be an expert on relationships within jujitsu, but they're not an expert on your on your marriage. They're not an expert on your job. They're not an expert on how you should spend your time at your job. They're only an expert in teaching jujitsu. They're not even an expert in business a lot of times because a lot of times they don't know how to run the school properly. Mm. They're not an expert on how we should view the police, how we should view the uh, armed forces, what they are an expert on is teaching jujitsu. And I think what we as paying consumers should be wary of is just make sure that you have them in the right box. 
You know, just make sure that you're not all of a sudden, just because that person has a few stripes on their black belt, saying, please help me with X, Y, and Z, that has nothing to do with jujitsu. Because what happens in cults is that the leaders at the top, they, you know, their word is bond. Their word is what rules. They, they're, they, they're trying to develop a group of disciples mm. that will follow them through the gates of hell <laughs> uh, and they will do things. And then, you know, that's, that's a, that's a scenario that's ripe for abuse. And we've seen it. Yeah. Whether it be emotional abuse, sexual abuse, financial abuse, any it's, it's ripe for abuse because we're, we've attached equality to a person that they don't deserve. And I think that's really how, you know, that, you are in a jujitsu academy that has cultish vibes. I won't call it a cult, but uh, you know, those things that the cross training, the, the, the uniform, I don't think those are important as important as just making sure you're not all of a sudden donning your jujitsu instructor with like a cap and gown saying they're now a PhD in epidemiology. Now, whatever they say about the pandemic, is is gospel yeah you know all of a sudden being like i have problems in my marriage what should i do oh well let me hearken back on my 10 years of studying barambolo <laughs> on how you how you should uh navigate your marriage that's yeah. where and that, yeah. that's not that crazy of an example you know yeah. people like i call my professor when i need advice on it's like if it's fitness if it's jujitsu related um then you would call your instructor. Do I, as an instructor of jujitsu, try to utilize skills I've learned in jujitsu in other areas of my life? Yes. Do I compare things to jujitsu? Yes. But I don't say, oh shit, well, I'm a black belt in jujitsu. That gives, now I'm a, you're building a house. Let me tell you how a jujitsu instructor would do it. I mean, it's fucking, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> well, I know exactly what you're talking about. And yeah. um, uh, I, I think all the good instructors, some of the guys that we've mentioned, like yeah. Aaron and John and even yeah. Dan, Daniel Viana have made a point of saying, you know, I'm, a, I'm not a life coach. And if you take any advice from me, just take it from me as a person, not as right some kind of life coach me as the jujitsu yeah. instructor slash life coach you yeah know. no i'm not a life coach i'm your friend and i might right. be telling you this as a friend you know right. but not as a life coach i and even life coaches man even life coaches these people who think they're life coaches we, I don't we think... spend a whole other podcast on <laughs> of that even that profession mm -hmm. but to to combine to have a a, a jujitsu instructor tell me that they're also a life coach is so is such a crock i uh, i can't even yeah i can't give that any um any credence because you're good at jujitsu yeah and, you know if if the person that you're mentoring wants to have jujitsu as their life so be it but in in other aspects that you i mean you know, people become experts in fields for a reason. Yeah. <laughs> That's, you know, um, if anything, yeah. if, if anything, you can, you can look to jujitsu for those experts. I mean, yeah. the guy you're rolling with could be an electrician. 
Well, the, the, that, you, you could be a, a psychologist. Like that's a like, that's a great way for me to segue into like you know I I use that mindset that you just explained in a I'm starting a podcast that should be launching in the fall called the Fundamentals of Life podcast, and it's about how experts in their field use fundamentals to help their practice and help their teaching. And you know our first season is going to cover yoga, choreography college wrestling, jiu-jitsu, national security, fine dining. But these are all people that I've met through jiu-jitsu, mm-hmm. but that are experts in other areas of life. And I'm not going to be like, I'm a black belt in jiu-jitsu. Let me tell you about national security. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as a black belt in jiu-jitsu, let me tell you about what's happening in Russia and Ukraine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, seriously, like who... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I think that's really when you start hearing stuff like that, it's hard to separate because you're like, I love this person so much. They've done so much for me. They're Mm -hmm. such a nice person. But they just said some such and such about an area where they're not qualified. Yeah. Um, And that's really that's when you can start parsing out what's what's useful for you as a jujitsu practitioner. And then when it, if it gets too much, don't feel beholden to that academy. Like you're, you're a paying customer paying for a service. If that service then starts to get tainted by this person's view of themselves as something that they're not, I would, I would suggest it's time to, um, to, to look for other academies. Oh, 100%. And uh, I think it's important to know, what you're doing once you started a gym or you you switch gyms because eventually that person's going to be is going to be the person giving you a black belt right right and you're going to be attached to this person right for the rest of your career whether you like it or not and if if you if you chose the wrong guy or girl to give you the the bl- the belt that that you guys basically you got a divorce and now right. you're, you're sharing you're sharing the kid and yeah. and uh and that kid is your belt you know right so. and so that I, i'm not going to get into it because i know we don't have much time left mm-hmm. um, but uh you know i recently left brazil zero to one um because of the because of what you just said i i'm a black belt from there some people were like i thought you would never leave brazil zero to one but i didn't share the vision of where the school was going and if i'm going to be in jiu-jitsu for the rest of my life uh i have to agree with the vision of the school and that's and that it was a re- it was one of the toughest decisions of my life but i had to make it for for myself and my family and my value system so it's really important for you, and especially when you have, when you're a white belt, blue belt, purple belt, even brown belt, when you have the choice to say that, hey, this doesn't, this isn't consistent with the way I view things. Um, your your power is your your where you are, your your uh, your dollar, your your time, and if, if you see something, say something, or you you can just leave. You know, it's people start getting too attached to these academies and and value systems because of because jujitsu is fucking fun yeah because jujitsu is fucking great because it, it teaches you valuable self-defense skills it keeps it gives you confidence that's why it's great but once it starts getting 
um, tainted and, uh, and and colored by other things, that's when it start. It's time to reevaluate and reassess, and and don't be afraid to just say, "Hey, this is not working for me," um, and find another place to go. Uh, that's fine. I mean, there's nothing wrong with like you getting to a point where you're like, Hey, you know, I'm going to leave this school for a, you know, ABC or XYZ. Right. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, you, you pay, like you're saying, you're paying to be there. Right. You, you have the choice to leave if you like, but also like, it could be any reason. Like it doesn't have to be super political. It doesn't have to be yeah. anything crazy. It could just be like, Oh, you know, I don't like the color of the mats. Right. Or, you yeah, know, exactly. like, like you can leave because you don't like the color of the mats. Like it I said, yeah. the power is is in you. You have you have the power. You're the you're the consumer. Mm-hmm. You know they're providing a service. So exactly. once we once we get once we forget that, then I think there's a problem. Edgar, I gotta uh, run to the open mat though. Okay, so. no problem. All right, so uh, thank you for coming on today uh, and uh, spending all this time with us and uh, talking jujitsu today. This is Edgar Traves with my special guest, Paul Doe, uh, Black Belt over at Viana Brothers. If you want to learn some fundamentals, you want to t- you know roll with the man, he's over at Viana Brothers in the Logan Square area in Chicago. Yep. You can Thanks. follow me at uh, Saigon Sentiment underscore BJJ uh, and at the Fundamentals of Life podcast. Uh, thank you, Edgar, for everything. This was a great conversation. Let's do it again for sure. Absolutely, man. Anytime, brother. The music you're listening to is titled Be This Way by Holman. You can find that over at Epidemic Sound. Now, I've mentioned them before on the show, and if you're a content creator like myself, you'll definitely want to look into Epidemic Sound. Epidemic Sound provides royalty-free music for a monthly price, and it's super affordable. So make sure you check out Epidemic Sound, and when you do, hit that referral link in the description. Another partner I wanted to mention is Titan Fitness. I love Titan Fitness. I actually use that equipment, and just like I said before, all the affiliates and all the sponsors that I have on the show are are actual products I use. So check out Titan Fitness. I love them. And when you do go check them out, hit that referral link in the description. So yeah, man, it was great fun talking to Paul. Paul is starting his own podcast. I'll make sure to post stuff on the social media when he gets it live. I'm going to ask him to make sure that he sends me a link. So stay tuned for that because the dude's got the gift of gab, man. You can tell, man, he'll be good. So make sure you follow my special guest today. He's awesome. On Instagram, he runs under the name SaigonCinnamon underscore BJJ. And you can also follow his Instagram for his podcast, The Fundamentals of Life Podcast. All one word. He's got the Facebook, Paul C. Doe. He's on Medium, Paul Doe, dash 609.56.medium.com. And he's on YouTube. Look for The Fundamentals of Life Podcast. Don't worry, I'll put all those links in the description so you can get to them easy. Or if you were, you know, a good listener and you wrote all that stuff down or memorized it or whatever, you can go just go ahead and do whatever you want. Make sure you follow me, Edgar Otraves, on Instagram under the name Edgar Otraves, one word. And make sure you follow the show under the name The Flow Roll. And check out the website, theflowrollpodcast.com. And if you're digging the show, make sure you like, subscribe, comment, and share wherever you get your podcast at. Press all the buttons that make the podcast gods happy thank you so much for listening to Zegger Otra Vez behave yourselves latest